This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And we are recording with Ms. Claire Lopez. Thursday, June 9th, 2022 at 3.08 p.m. Eastern Time, episode 834, I think. And uh, i got to be honest, I've kind of been unplugged for the last 48 hours, so I don't really know what's going on in the world. But for all the new listeners, Ms. Lopez has been on here a million times before. She'll be on here a million times again, whether she likes it or not. And I will put in the description her Twitter, her website. You can go find her, uh, I believe, weekly articles and all that good stuff. But Claire, what what is actually going on in the world as I have been unplugged? Well, first of all, I, I don't know that you're exactly unplugged, but I'm really impressed with that 834 uh, sessions on this podcast. That, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I'm um, glad to be part of it uh, now. Absolutely. And yes, you don't have to make me in the in the future too. coming Absolutely. back. Absolutely. So what what are, what is developing? In the, I mean, obviously, recently you've been talking about Ukraine for probably like the last 10 episodes or so. But I mean, is there really anything else? You know, aside from rampant inflation, baby formula, crushing food shortages, and uh, that uh, assassin going to Brett Kavanaugh's house. Well, I, 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 maybe I'll bring up a couple things, which okay. would probably be enough for us. But um, the first over there, Iran, and then maybe we can bring it home and, okay. and talk about what's going on here. Um, in this past few days, uh, folks may have noticed that the IAEA, that's the International Atomic Energy Agency, the UN. Uh, nuclear watchdog on uh, nuclear programs around the world uh, announced uh, that it assesses Iran currently now has enough highly enriched uranium uh, that is above 60% uh, to make one bomb, one warhead. Now, um, I think that's wildly optimistic. Um, I actually wrote an article, we may have talked about it on the show some time ago, but uh, a couple months ago, I, I wrote an article, I think it was published at my Newsmax blog site, if I recall, and it was about all the evidence, uh, including reports from the IAEA itself, uh, as well as that, that great big document heist uh, that the Mossad spirited out of that Tehran warehouse back in January of 2016. But all that evidence um, that Iran has been working on um, building uh, nuclear warheads for a very long time. Um, we know that the program began under the Ayatollah Khomeini before he died way back in 1988 or so, the end of the horrific um, Iran-Iraq war, you know, during which a number of times Iran maybe didn't know if it was going to be able to, to survive, to win, to, to, to push Saddam's forces out of its country. And so Khomeini basically turned to his IRGC, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, and said, we can never be in this position again. Get the bomb. This is 1988. And the IRGC went to Pakistan to AQ Khan, sometimes called the father of the Pakistani bomb. And they bought blueprints and maybe, maybe some parts uh, to make their first centrifuges. This is 1988. Well, um, 
nothing much emerged publicly for quite a long time, for about 14 years, until August of 2002, when the Iranian opposition group, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, held press conferences uh, in both Paris, their headquarters there, and over here in Washington, D.C., and basically blew the lid off of the Iranian clandestine nuclear weapons program publicly for the first time. And they had overhead satellite imagery of places like Natanz and Isfahan and, and others. And subsequent to that, they, they also revealed more and more sites, Lavizan Xi'an, uh, Kaylee Electric Plant, on and on. Well, uh, skip ahead then, I'm, I'm, I'm recounting from, from my article, Skip ahead to November 2011, the IAEA puts out uh, the Governor's Board quarterly reports on the Iranian nuclear program. And they're in English uh, and online. And the November 2011 one was, I think, the most revealing and, and honest, maybe, of all the reports I've ever seen from the IAEA about Iran's nuclear weapons program. And it detailed in, in, in quite a lot of specificity uh, what it called possible military dimensions. That's euphemism for you're building a bomb <laughs> um, of, of the Iranian program. And it talked about specifics like how they were working on fashioning, milling um, the uranium metal hemispheres that, that make up the pit of a bomb, how they were working on the multi-point implosion points uh, of, of the ex external to the, to, to the core that sets off you know, the electric, uh, the, the, um, uh, the uh, explosion itself. Uh, they were talking about, um, you know, all kinds of very specific things with regard to building a, a nuclear warhead. So that's 2011 from the IAEA, okay? Then we skip ahead again to, like I said, the 2016 heist out of Tehran, that warehouse, by Mossad. I, my personal opinion, nobody ever says this out loud, but I think Mossad's been working with the MEK, the Mujahideen Kalk, which is the main element of the broader political Iranian um, umbrella of, of opposition groups called the NCRI. Well, I think Mossad's been working with MEK uh, for a long time. And I think that heist was probably pulled off with a lot of job. internal help from, from that network. And out of those documents, a couple of years later, after the Israelis had had time to translate and analyze everything, Bibi Netanyahu, then prime minister of Israel, gave that press conference in, I don't know what it was, the middle of the year, July or something of 2018. And he, he displayed, you know, all, all this information of what was called the Ahmad plan, you know, that Iran had never stopped its nuclear weapons program. And, and it had made quite a lot of progress. So all of this, all of this, um, and then of course, um, you know, the the CIA um, backing up just a bit in 2007 puts out that you know duplicitous NIE National Intelligence Estimate they call it, you know, saying oh with high confidence we think they stopped their entire program back in 2003. Well, they knew that was a lie, and everybody else did too. I hope it was a lie. Um, and so now we're fast forwarding to, to here and now, um, and uh, they're finally admitting at the IAEA that uh, it's under new leadership, by the way, Secretary General Rafael Grossi is an Argentinian who took over a few years ago, two or three years ago, 
he seems to be a lot more on the ball than, than some of his predecessors, like Mohammed al-Baradai, for example, who was um, in the Iranians' pockets. Um, but anyway, admitting out loud that, yeah, Iran, uh, there's no more breakout time. Breakout time is now zero. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're still even hedging their language. If they decide to go ahead and build, yeah, they decided a long time ago, you know, newsflash. Um, and also the other thing is that the IAEA has never been allowed um, to visit a whole bunch of the clandestine sites that are kept off limits by the Iranians. They're not allowed to go visit, not allowed to, to, to visit suspicious places that pique their interest that they want to take a look at. Um, and uh, so we don't even know what's going on in those sites. Not really. Um, but uh, we do know that the IAEA under Rafael Grossi is becoming a little more concerned and open. And um, they met, by the way, or are meeting, I should say, this entire week. I think it's a multi-day meeting of the IAEA in Vienna about Iran. So we'll be waiting for that uh, reporting to, to come out, you know, after, after the meeting is um, finished. Um, but so, you know, Iran... Um, you know, on the on the absolute cusp of becoming a deliverable nuclear weapon uh, capable uh, power. Uh, and when I say that they're enriching up to 60 percent, I don't know if folks realize, but uh, weapons grade for a uranium uh, nuclear bomb is considered over 90 percent, like 92, 93 percent enriched. Um, and you might think, oh, that's quite a ways away, 30 something percent. They got a ways to go. Well, no, because technologically speaking, even once you, you reach the 20% enriched level from uranium-238 to uranium-235, you've mastered pretty much the technological process. And after that, it's a matter of time and how many and how fast your centrifuges are. Another good point, they are now up to generation IR6. That's IR Iran, sixth generation. Um, of these uh, centrifuges, those tall aluminum tubes in which spin the rotors that turn the gas um, into uh, enriched uranium suitable to, to fashion into a bomb. So they're up to IR6, but by way of saying that in every respect, the amount of, of uh, enriched uranium that they are producing and stockpiling that we even know about um, the number of centrifuges of advanced design, meaning better, faster. Um. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Centrifuges that, that can turn out enriched uranium, highly enriched uranium, much faster than any previous generation of centrifuges. Um, and, and a bunch of other things like unanswered questions for the IAEA um, about um, places that the IAEA actually was allowed to visit. Um, and found traces of highly enriched uranium there that the Iranians have never explained satisfactorily to them. So putting all of this together, it's a really bad week for the Iranian nuclear weapons program and 
for Israel, which is really its number one target in the bullseye. Um, but I will say um, that, that the Israelis seem pretty well aware, um, probably have the best intelligence in the world on where this program is at and exactly what danger they're in. Yeah. Um, they've been stepping up a number of things. Um, uh, exercises, IAF, uh, Israeli Air Force um, uh, bombing run exercises. Um, they are capable now, and especially with uh, the opening, really, of, of Saudi Arabia to overflights by Israeli uh, planes, commercial, certainly out to the Gulf area, but uh, probably military, too. It cuts, um, you know, the distance that, that Israeli jets would have to fly. And so they don't even need aerial refueling anymore to reach Iran and get home. Um, but they practice that anyway. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say here is the other thing the Israelis seem to have been doing. Um, there have been a number of um, sort of suspicious deaths, shall we say, of some very senior Iranian scientists involved with um, either the uh, nuclear weapons program um, or um, let me pull open this cheat sheet of mine, um, which have to do with um, units of the IRGC um, and the um, CUDS force, um, subordinate unit of the IRGC. Um, uh, let me get this here, this uh, particular, here we go. Um, so uh, just in late May, so that means just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, a senior IRGC colonel by the name of Hassan Syed Kodai, uh, acting commander of this elite Quds Force unit that I was talking about, it's got a number 840, unit 840. It's in charge of abductions and assassinations for Iran overseas. Assassinated in Tehran, sitting in his own car, in front of his own house, by two motorcycle assassins coming up on either side of his car, shooting through the window and uh, he was sent off to meet his virgins. Then in uh, early June, uh, an aerospace scientist by the name of Ayub Enterazi uh, died kind of suspiciously after a dinner, maybe a food poisoning. It's got to be a pretty awful way to go. Uh, 3rd of June, a second Iranian scientist by the name of Kamran Malafour, um, he worked at Natanz, the enrichment facility, he also died under mysterious circumstances. And now the fourth uh, death, um, early June again, IRGC perhaps itself eliminated a senior Quds Force colonel by the name of Ali Esmaili Zadeh, openly, I guess, published or, 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 or a statement over suspicions of espionage. Wow. And this guy, Esmaili Zadeh, had been a close colleague of the, of the first guy I mentioned, Colonel Hassan Syed Kodai. So what I'm saying is that it looks like the Israelis are stepping up their game. Um, they're being very open about statements of, um, we're not gonna put up with this. We're not going to simply go after the tentacles of the octopus anymore. It is time to go for the head of the octopus. They're saying things like this. So long way of sort of giving you the, state of um, affairs uh, with regard to iran no I, I love it i was gonna say yeah the israelis aren't ones to really wait for it to show up to their doorstep 
they've yeah. never really been that. What are those units? Uh, Kidon, I think. Is that the is that the um, executive action unit of uh, the Mossad? I think it's Kidon. That's the one that goes in ISIS people. I've, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, to to kind of go back to what you were saying at the very beginning, when you said that's optimistic when referring to their uh, their enriched uh, facilities and ability ability to build a functional warhead. Optimistic. Well, that or, that the IAEA assesses the capability to be at one. One. Well, that's what I mean. It, is it? I think that's. Um, I think my personal opinion, after everything I told you, that is drastically understating the case, the status at which the Iranians are already, in my opinion, I think they probably have already a handful of nuclear warheads, like maybe five to seven, fewer than 10. Um, We'll recall, I think, um, that before the Pakistanis tested for the first time their nuclear Uh, weapons capability in response to an Indian likewise test in 1998, the Pakistanis had already had a functioning nuclear weapons program and warheads and ballistic missiles on which to carry them since at least the early 1990s. So, uh, you know, looking at that and looking at all that evidence I I was mentioning earlier, I think we're kind of foolish to think, number one, that the Iranians have not made up their minds about going for a nuclear bomb. Um, I think I think it was on your show, Tommy, it was um, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago uh, where I mentioned um, that a, a former member of uh, the Iranian Majlis, the parliament, uh, had made a statement on state controlled Iranian TV in an interview that, well, yeah, we've always been going for a bomb. Did I, I think I mentioned that. Well, you know, I think we should take that to heart. I think, I think that's a lot closer to the truth than, you know, continuing uh, the fantasy that they haven't made up their minds yet or that they only have one warhead. Now, I think the Mossad will be the first to know uh, with the help, as, again, in my opinion, of the MEK, you know, when those warheads might be mounted on top of Iran's ballistic missiles. Now, for whatever reason, the IAEA and, I don't know, International Convention don't call it a weapon until the two are married up, until a nuclear warhead is actually, you know, placed in the nose cone of a ballistic missile. Then it's a weapon. Uh, well, that's kind of technical, and I also think it's um, it, it doesn't really state the case um, that we're looking at. Yeah. So when you were saying optimistic, you meant that was optimistic on our side, not optimistic. Yes. For the Iranians. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like once and this is in my completely limited knowledge, nearing nothing. But yeah, I would imagine once you have the ability to enrich it at all, it's just that same process of just doing it again and again and again. Like once you can once you can put away 100 podcasts like you've you've shown that you know how to upload the video, you can find <laughs> guests and you're consistent. Well, then it's just a matter of time before you get to 500, 800. It keeps going. So that makes sense. Now, yeah, I mean, it, it, but by, you know, comparing to the to the Iranian nuclear program, sure. yeah, one, once they mastered um, the enrichment process, it was only a matter of developing more, better, newer, faster centrifuges to get there faster um, with more warheads. And I think that's what they've done. 
do you think that we're going to see Mossad, even even though you've been saying they've been making open statements and there have been mysterious deaths, is there going to be something like an early airstrike? Uh, and I know you covered that as well. Do you think we're going to see something where once the, the Israelis get definitive evidence that the Iranians are ready to launch or they have multiple warheads, like, are we going to just or have married up the warheads yeah. to the missiles? I, I think that's the red line when they begin to marry the warheads to the missiles on the nose cones. And again, I, I think it's pretty amazing the network that Mossad has inside of Iran. Again, my belief with the Mujahideen Nikol, mm-hmm. but they'll know they'll they'll know when that is. And at that point, I I don't I don't see how the Israelis, you know, have any other choice but to launch. Now, there are several ways they can take out um, this capability of the Iranians. And and one uh, would be bunker busters, which they probably have at least a few of now. Um, Number two would be a maneuver um, with which the IAF uh, strikes a particular target. Let's say it's Fardo, the one under the mountain so deeply buried. First with the lead plane, then the second plane comes behind and precision drops in the first hole that was Mm -hmm. made. And then the third, the fourth. And eventually, you know, if you don't have a bunker buster per se, you get you get down to that level um, that you need to. Um, And then the third way for for me, it would seem uh, to me would be uh, to um, just, you know, bomb the openings, bomb the doorways, if you will. And turn the place into a sarcophagus, which is pretty horrible. But, you know, that that would take care of those places. Um, I mean, you've probably heard about U.S. under President Trump using what they called a Moab mother, yeah, of, mother all of all bombs, the largest in Afghanistan against yeah. uh, Islamic State Khorasan tunnels buried deeply in mountainous areas and uh, their thermobaric um, bombs that, yeah, fuel air you know, bombs. just, uh, yeah. Anyway, they, they did the job there, and um, perhaps that's something that, that might be in the arsenal of the Israelis. I don't know, but perhaps. Or could we see a throwback to some Stuxnet stuff? Could there be a I new... think it's past that time. Okay. I think it's too late. Um, yeah, those, those measures, the Stuxnet, uh, that, that was that uh, you know, virus that got introduced into Natanz that blew all the centrifuges apart. Uh, and the the whirling rotor blades of of, of the centrifuges uh, went flying and destroyed I don't know many hundreds of, of centrifuges. I mean that was effective for its time. And each one of these measures, um, for example, uh, mysterious um, explosions at places like Natanz, where they were assembling not that long ago, I think a couple of years ago, above ground facility for assembling uh, new nuclear centrifuges enrichment centrifuges and and something happened something happened to that facility well what they do they rebuilt it but underground at natanz um so each one of these things is a delaying measure and we have also seen very recently another i think it might be the third in in a in a, a history of of such uh explosions taking place at uh, the military facility called parchin uh which is a place that uh, has been uh, identified as um, a location where the Iranians did nuclear warhead uh, research and development and testing because satellite imagery showed testing containment facilities 
big tanks, if you will, which uh, are used for uh, actual testing of you know nuclear explosions. Maybe not with the nuclear, uh, the uranium component to it, but the explosive part of that. So that got hit. Parchin got hit again. Not not so long ago. I think just like days ago. All of these things set the program back. They delay it, but there comes a point when all the delays in the world are not going to be enough and they're going to have to do something more serious. And you might say, well, they destroy or really set back the nuclear weapons program. Okay, but what about the regime? As long as that regime remains there, um, you know, look at the constitution of, of the Islamic Republic of Iran. They're going to keep trying to, to destroy Israel, um, to to reach the United States and our, all of our many, you know, bases and military and diplomatic facilities across the region of the Middle East. They're going to keep at it. So you take out the program or set it way back. What about the regime? You know, I, my, my personal opinion always has been that um, we should have been working, we, the United States, should have been working long time since with the democratic Iranian opposition, the Mujahideen Ikhalq, which has such an amazing network inside of uh, the country and inside of its weapons of mass destruction programs. <clears throat> yeah, that is plural, by the way, not just nuclear, they've got biological and chemical too, uh, weapons programs, but we just haven't done that. And I, I really don't know why, I, 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 don't, I don't get why. Um, now, obviously with the current administration, um, which is full of, retreads from the earlier Obama administrations, um, you know, the, the anti-Semitism is, is rampant, um, you know, absolute hatred for the Jewish state of Israel. So, you know, they wouldn't want to do anything that would interrupt um, these talks that don't look, by the way, like they're going to get anywhere in Vienna when going on to try to revive the absolutely moribund. I mean, it is DOA. Um, JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, um, nor nuclear deal, doesn't look like it's going to get revived. But uh, this administration would not want to do anything to interrupt at least their efforts in that direction, including, I think we've talked about this too, um, you know, going to, to Russia to be our go-between, our interlocutor at the Vienna talks when they were in progress, they're not now but to the Russians and, and discussing how, um, you know, should these talks in Vienna go forward, uh, the Russians would have to have a carve out or an exemption um, on, on uh, sanctions um, if we want to continue relying on their such good hearted help to, to, to reach this uh, agreement with the, with the Iranians. But um, Thankfully, it doesn't look like that's going to happen in any case. Do you think that the Israelis would, um, do you think they, they're maybe waiting till it gets to a point where it's no longer just a threat to the Israelis, but is also a threat to the United States? You sort of force the U.S. to go aid or back or well, provide support for Yeah, no, it, it, that, that could be. I mean, certainly the Iranians have made repeated threats as well yeah. as strikes, yeah, military gonna, strikes against not stop. <laughs> American forces in, in places of the Middle East, like in Iraq. Well, what used to be called Iraq. 
um, repeatedly threatening that they can reach our bases, our facilities uh, across the region. So, I mean, that's, that's already, you know, been threatened long time since. It doesn't seem to have moved uh, the Biden administration or Robert Malley, the uh, lead negotiator for those Vienna talks, or uh, Jake Sullivan at um, National Security Advisor at the National Security Council. I mean, these people are clueless. Just Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, utterly clueless. But those threats have already been made and doesn't seem to have moved, seem to have moved them. Uh, this, this may depend on Israel, which, of course, you know, for them, it's totally and utterly existential. Clueless or intentionally malicious? Well, both. I mean, the anti-Semitism is is horrific in this administration. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you're Israeli, you kind of kind of put the U.S. against the wall. And you're like, hey, if we don't stop it, it's come. I mean, we did blow up General Soleimani a little over two years ago. I mean, I doubt Iran's forgotten about that. Well, not at all. And as a matter of fact, uh, the Iranian repeated threat to assassinate senior former U.S. officials, including former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo um, and others, uh, remains a sticking point in the nuclear talks uh, that the U.S. has, you know, just asked really, really nicely several times, could you please just you know, not kill our people, our, our senior officials. No, 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 no. The Iranians refuse to budge on that. We will exact uh, revenge for the killing of, of Qasem Soleimani. They wouldn't give up on that. Now, I guess to its credit, if credit's to be granted, the U.S. held uh, on, on that point, as well as on the point of not removing the IRGC from the U.S. foreign terrorist organizations list. Okay. And that those two things were sticking points that helped to stymie the talks. Okay, that's in the plus column. To either go domestic or are there any updates on China and Taiwan? Oh dear, what time is it? Um, 13, 13 minutes, is there any? Yeah, yeah. Well, we might have to save the US front for, for the next time, but yes, on China. Um, I know that I've talked um, before with you Tom, yeah, the show, about that leaked about letter. the leaked audio from May 14, the Beijing meeting of the senior officials of the CCP and the PLA, um, basically going over administrative planning for moving China from a peacetime to a war footing. Well, there have been further developments on that. And um, again, I'm going to just pull open my notes here because I've been talking about this to, to other uh, groups as well recently. And uh, what's happened more recently is that um, additional information that was obtained by the same uh, network, the Luda Media Network, um, with which Li Mengyan and I um, have, have been working, uh, obtained additional information more recently. And that information was uh, to the effect that China intends to kick off the hostilities we talked about, the attack on Taiwan, the clearing of the South China Sea of U.S. and other um, um, allied naval vessels, et cetera, that that would be kicked off um, with a campaign of provocation against Japan to try to get Japan to respond militarily in a way that would kick off hostilities. And then the CCP 
would engage with information operations throughout the region of East Asia to the effect that, oh, look at the Japanese. You remember what they did to you all in World War II. And look, they're militarizing again. But we, we, the PLA, will protect you. Japan is hostile, is militaristic. Well, what happened? Uh, two things real quick. Um, in um, late May, 26th of May, Secretary of State Antony Blinken finally laid out the long-awaited Biden uh, administration China policy. It runs to over 100 pages, but in brief, uh, what it says is there is a slogan of three words for the U.S. relationships with, with, with China. Uh, invest, align, compete. Invest in China, not decouple commercially Line. from them. Align. You know, we, we, we just really have to work with the Chinese on climate change because if they don't help us, we're never going to get there. We just have to have their help. So align and then compete. And compete is to suggest that the Chinese are simply, um, you know, global power competitors, kind of like a friendly, you know, game of tennis or something like that. Right. Uh, the other uh, points of this new admin policy explicitly states that the U.S., um, uh, it, it, as I said, intends to invest more, more and more in Chinese industries, not decouple from them. And there is a plan or at least a proposal I've heard just in the last day or two that we are going to, we, the Biden administration is going to um, lift some sanctions uh, against China uh, in order to, I don't know, boost the U.S. economy or some such thing, which you know, they could hardly care less, but okay, that's what they said. Um, and uh, the final thing was uh, that I took away from the, from the Chinese um, plan of this administration was to um, uh, not stand in the way, in any way, of China and its ambitions to be a global world power. Yes, they put that into the Biden-China policy plan. We will not uh, deter or stand in the way of China becoming a global world power. So, okay, that was May 26. On the same day, now I'm not quite sure if it was before or after the release of our policy plan, but the same day, May 26, different time zones, you know, um, a Chinese fighter jet intercepted an Australian Poseidon surveillance aircraft in international airspace over the South China Sea and released aluminum chaff, which can really muck up the engines of an aircraft. And actually some of that did go into the engines of this Australian aircraft, um, making uh, it necessary for the pilot to do an emergency landing, which he successfully did, happy to say. But this was on the same day as little Anthony Blinken released our policy plan, one more uh, sequence after that, May 30th, so four days later, Chinese ships, Chinese naval ships of the PLA attacked what's called the Okanatori Shima. It's a coral reef uh, in the Philippine Sea, which is administered by Japan. Now, as coral reefs grow, this thing amounts to a couple of big rocks, basically, uninhabited. Um, but that the Japanese had built what they called a concrete tetrapod um, 
structures around them in order to uh, act as a barrier to uh, the waters of high tide. In other words, so that high tide waters yeah. would not swamp over these rocks that the Japanese are claiming and administrating. Well, the Chinese came in and blew the tetrapod structures to smithereens. They're not there anymore. They're gone. And that would allow the waters to flow in. And now the, ja uh, the, uh, the Chinese can say, well, you know, it's disputed waters and we need to take this to the convention on the law of the sea. Uh, Japanese vessels did try to respond, but uh, were too few and too late to do anything about uh, what the Chinese did. So it seems to me um, that the Chinese are stepping up this um, provocation campaign, if you will, as revealed to be their plan by the Luda Media Network inside of China. Um, I guess that, that's enough for China. There's more which we can get into a, you know, at another time. But um, what, I'm, what I guess I'm saying is that it looks like uh, the Luda Media information is being validated in terms of uh, the Chinese plans to ramp up hostilities in these waters, South China Sea, Sea of Philippines, um, the uh, Sea of Japan, out to the first island chain, perhaps even beyond. Uh, and that, again, I mean, ha you know, have already, you know, gone up against two of the Quad members, Quad being U.S., uh, Australia, Japan, and India, gone up against Japan, as we just mentioned, an Australian um, aircraft in international waters, already confronted them, attacked them, um, but that the plan seems to be, you know, progressing gradually. See what the response is. Do, do, we, do we respond with, with you know, uh, firmness uh, or just kind of let it go? Uh, that's what I think is happening with China. And it matters because um, we're talking not just about Taiwan, um, to which, by the way, to its credit, the Biden administration has just pledged to send units of U.S. National Guard uh, troops. I don't know how many. I think it's a few dozen um, for training cooperation with, with the Taiwanese, otherwise a.k.a. known as a tripwire. So not yet confronted U.S. forces, but according to the plan, uh, they envision they the, the, the CCP envisions doing that. And they've already gone up against two of our allies, the Japanese and the Australians. So to be continued, I guess. What do you mean tripwire? Well, kind of like, um, you know, we have a, a certain number of thousands of troops uh, located in South Korea. Uh, so that if there were uh, a North Korean intent or plan or policy, you know, to, to cross the DMZ and attack South Korea, our troops would be right there on the front lines. And that would draw us in gotcha. of necessity. Gotcha. Um, and, 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 and so I, I'm, I'm seeing that kind of as the same kind of thing with um, these National Guard troops uh, sent to train Taiwanese forces. So the hope is that it would be some sort of deterrent? Yeah. Um, I mean, we need a lot more in terms yeah. of deterrence that, that has to be credible or, or forget about it. Uh, we weren't very credible in deterring the Russians from going into Ukraine. This has got to be more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of seems like the, the global chessboard is getting ready for some some quick moves. Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Iran, China and Taiwan. 
you know, people around the world, be they our friends and allies and partners or adversaries and enemies, they see weakness in yeah. Washington, D.C. They see weakness at the top of our administration right now. And they also know that just like Taiwan's got uh, elections coming up for party leader for Xi Jinping's attempt at a third term in November this year, so does the United States have midterm elections coming up in November of this year. And they um, are kind of assessing, I mean, they know our politics better than we do. Um, and, and, and they realize that there's a strong likelihood uh, that, that Republicans will make a very strong showing in those midterm elections and that policies will change. U.S. policies will change. Uh, not having the White House, not entirely, no, um, but perhaps uh, having both houses of Congress, Senate and uh, the House, that policies will change and become uh, uh, firmer towards, towards China, towards the CCP. So they may see a closing window of opportunity. Very likely that's exactly what they see and that they may be speeding up things between now and November, not just the Chinese, but the Iranians and, and, and maybe others too, uh, because they see that as their closing window of opportunity. Any any silver linings? Any good news this week? Um, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and we haven't even touched on the United States, which I know we meant to, but we'll catch oh. it next week, um, where things are not looking all that great either with Good lord um you know a, a, an intending assassin outside the Brett home kavanaugh. of um yeah uh, associate justice of the supreme court brett kavanaugh two days oh, yeah. ago like two weeks after Saki said they 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 support the right to go yeah that's outside home yeah, which by the way is a felony to yeah. even demonstrate peacefully in an attempt to sway the judgment or, or, or the opinion uh, of a, uh, a judge, a justice of the Supreme Court, certainly, or a juror is a felony against U.S. law, Title 18, section, I think it's 157, maybe, if I've got that right. And then Lori Lightfoot yeah. coming out like a month ago. In any case, it's illegal to, to, to protest even peacefully outside of the home residences of justices, jurors, uh, judges, in an attempt to sway or change or influence, you know, their um, their opinion on, on a pending case, court case. Well, Lori Lightfoot tweeted like a month ago after the abort or after the uh, abortion case leak, the Roe v. Wade leak, that this is a direct assault on their rights. And this is a, quote, call to arms. Um, you know, you can't you can't ignore some of this rhetoric, for example, that's been playing again on uh, TV channels of Senator Chuck Schumer uh, and his his um, his rhetoric on the steps of the, 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 the Supreme Court um, some months ago, basically saying, calling out justices by name, Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. You have unleashed the whirlwind and you will pay. You won't know what hit you, he said. That's that's instigation to violence. And you in, should be held to account for that. And completely unrelated, we also think that you should all give up your guns. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Completely yeah. unrelated. Yeah. After a shooting where the cops didn't go in either, just unrelated, we think you should give up your guns. Yeah. Just, I know that the food supply chain's crashing, that the border's open, and the rampant censorship and funneling of money through Ukraine, and now the direct threats against uh, Supreme Court justices. Unrelated. Hey, will y'all give us your guns? Because you might shoot us for what we're going to do next. Yeah, um, not not too much silver lining um, this week, Tommy. Very sorry. <sighs> well, guess that's my own fault for coming in, wishing I'd get it. And with that, Miss Claire Lopez, thank you so much. And uh, you're most welcome. We'll be back at it. Be next continued week. next thank week. You so much, Claire Lopez. All your stuff in the description. Go follow her on Twitter. Go follow her writing. It's fantastic. Uh, there are no silver linings, so don't go looking for them. But there is truth. So take that for whatever it's worth. Thank you so much. I'll text you when it's up. Stay safe, everybody.